0: You're listening to The RC, your guide to digital cinema, filmmaking, and cutting-edge imaging.
1: Hi, and welcome to this week's Red Centre podcast, coming to you from the back-ass end of Brisbane Airport. We're not going to be looking at any uh, rat holes, but well, we will be looking at rat holes, I'm sure, later in the show. We're really looking at... at, uh, at uh, <laughs> what the fuck looking at? Looking out
2: a window. If you currently look out of the right-hand side of the aircraft, you'll see the same fucking thing you saw four
1: hours ago. Jason and I boarded a plane about 20 hours ago in LAX, uh, having waited, obviously, several hours to get through customs immigration and uh, taken the time to get there nice and early. So, you know, having not seen the uh, other side of a bed since we were last in Las Vegas. Anyway, having driven for, what, four or five hours across the desert to make it to our flight, we got diverted at the last minute out of Sydney and sent to Queensland, where we were asked to sit on the tarmac, well, with the rest of the plane, really, for, for a bit. Like, how many hours? Uh, yeah, heading in, certainly heading
2: fourth hour now. Uh, this is far less interesting than driving four hours across the desert, driving across the uh, tarmac.
1: So, uh, many of you uh, may have seen our Twitter post while we were stranded on the ground, and several of you suggested we actually record a podcast from location. And we thought, well, why not, eh? Why not? Why Indeed. Not? Well, great.
2: What else can we do, possibly, with our time? Or oh, better time. What a way to spend the time. We kept thinking about, uh, what do we really actually have to say that we didn't say uh, on the day, on the live show? And thank you to those guys who have uh, w- watched from the other side of the world, or wherever you've watched from. And also, by now, you probably would have uh, seen tweets and links uh, uh, and at fxguide.com to go to the FX Guide, podcast, uh, where we all recorded our traditional post-NAB uh, wrap-up episode. Um, we thought, what the hell else have we actually not talked about uh, in that time?
1: Yeah, and I think the uh, the answer is we didn't actually get into an uh, in-depth discussion actually on the uh, Dragon Center itself.
2: Yeah, which was like the biggest thing we were hoping to hear about um, from last year, and I guess... The hot, we spent the entire year still waiting to hear about it. and Another NAE Raptor came around and we finally actually heard the details. Um, 6K for 6K or two
1: soccer mums in a hot tub. So the problem is really that uh, Red announced this sensor a year ago and a year later we still haven't actually seen any images from it. I think that's the thing that, that worries me a little bit because you'd think if you announced something that you'd actually have a prototype up within a year. Bearing in mind, of course, everyone says, "Well, obviously they're trying to get Epics out," and that's true. They do trying to get an Epics out, but but th- we are just talking about a sensor in the existing framework of the Epics. And let's face it; a year ago, the Epics were working. Uh, yeah, I guess we have all
2: I was, was hoping for full frame sensor, and we didn't get it. But doesn't it bother you. You haven't actually seen any images. Uh, well, I mean, I guess they're they're talking about. We haven't really sort of. S- what, what really are we going to see from the sensor that's going to be that more dr- that dramatic and what's going to be that different?
1: Really well, I guess test. it's more what indicative of the to fact to that if, if they haven't even got an image out that they can show anyone, then they're saying they're going to start shipping before the end of the year. But, I mean, it could literally be 18 months from the initial announcement before even the first start to trickle out. But I think also,
2: even if they did have imagery, they could show us. It's not going to look dramatically different. than but I,
1: well, but I hope it would because I hope it would have a much greater increased dynamic range and more importantly I'd hope it would have a much better ISO. Well, the dynamic range isn't, I don't know how much that's really
2: going to show in a test, you know, unless you unless you were there shooting the actual image and you knew how bright that window was or how dark that was. Well
1: you just put were. a normal epic beside it and the new show, epic beside yeah. that and shoot the same bloody thing.
2: Yeah, that's what we're hoping for we'd love to try and get our hands on a sensor as soon as we can and be, be great to do some A-B comparisons with Uh, one epic and uh, also comparisons for field review going from 1.4 times crop to 1.2 times crop and yes the dynamic range Uh, we're still not sure what the, uh, there's also a change to the top speed, some frame rates are going to change as well being that 6k, we're now going to 6 I mean, uh, it's not. Was it 150
1: frames at 6k?
2: Uh, I can't remember but it's also going to be the back end to that, you know you're now dealing with Uh, Another 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 K to add to that, or another couple of Ks on from if you were going to bump up a a uh, Scarlet. So it's um, oh, it's going to be more
1: than a couple of Ks to bump a Scarlet to Epic specs to then be able to take the Jensen in terms of picture K, four K to six K. I'm sorry, but but I get back to my earlier point. Isn't the number one thing that you'd be looking for out of a Dragon sensor increased sensitivity? In other words, that you have a better ISO range or ASA. Yeah, I mean what we've seen in just a few days
2: we've both had our 5D Mark III's is the incredible uh, flexibility we've had being able to shoot in any conditions in the back of like really dark limos and some really, uh, really pushing pushing the, the envelope with uh, uh, low light and seeing some incredibly uh, clean, noiseless imagery from a $3,000 camera. And uh, and every other camera since, it, you know, since uh, Epic came out, has been uh, a lot more sensitive. Yeah, definitely looking for um, some low, better low light capability and less noise. We've so t- we've often talked about the fact that really, well, I'm I'm certainly don't go past a thousand ISO on on my Epic.
1: Yeah, we were shooting five thousand ISO on the Canon. Now it's a different beast. It's obviously not a full on digital cinema camera like the Epic is. But nevertheless, once you've tasted that, you really want more.
2: Yeah, it's really made. It's made. I was saying the other day. I think it's kind of made it. I mean, you were sort of using ISO a bit. I was on the 5D anyway, using ISO a bit, and on the Epic a bit as an, as a third exposure control from shutter and iris, and adding because um, oh well, from iris you're adding sort of ISO. Really, you couldn't really change your, your 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 shutter angle much. You know, you had to stuck with stuck with you know pretty much the 180 degree rule. So, using the ISO and your iris was uh, the really two options and, you know, I, I like to use shoot wide open anyway. So, I think the better, the more dynamic range we get and the more flexibility we get in that area, the more you're going to start wanting to use ISO as your exposure control and leave everything else bolted open.
1: Okay, we're going to keep going with this discussion one second, but we're going to open it up to questions. So, Jason is going to Twitter on, uh, <laughs> on the international tweets. That we're stuck in an aeroplane and that we'd be willing to answer questions, thus turning this episode into more of a Q&A I session. Chat room. Yeah. Um, so, we'll, we'll send out, so uh, obviously by the time you're listening to this, uh, it's pre-recorded, so that's not a relevant thing to do, but hopefully you saw our tweets as we were stranded. Uh, what is, of course, a Sydney-slash-Queensland morning and LA afternoon uh, on a Saturday-slash-Friday.
2: Yeah, Friday- evening i guess for la time uh and sorry what
1: We need to twitter that you want questions so i am i'm just sending
2: questions. another i'm just sending a video at the moment uh the view out the window as we're being towed uh six or seven or so kilometers from one hour i i don't know if
1: you realize this but we actually stopped being towed
2: we have but we're not where we're meant to be so we're not only we're not being towed we're not being towed at the uh uh, incredibly snail's pace it was uh, out this window because uh, you're so used to being on a taxiway, uh, taxiing, you know, with uh, you know four, two or four uh, uh, highly expensive jet engines powering you down. <laughs> <the> <laughs> we're now being towed by a man in a little truck, and uh, now we've even stopped that. So not, allo- not only are we uh, not being towed uh, at, at walk factor slug, we are also uh, not even moving at all. So. I'm sure this is uh, a riveting podcast for all you all, but um, let me t- let me uh, let me tell you, it's far more interesting than being here on uh, in seats 12K and 12H. Here we go.
1: Right. Well, we have our first question in from Rustam, R S T Y M, who's helping us to uh, relieve the boredom of 20 hours of sitting in exactly the same seat. Don't get me wrong; we can't eat or drink or do anything. We have to just sit in this same bloody seat, and so his question is welcome, and will receive a baseball cap if he was to send us his information, and that is how relevant is the Black Magic camera? Ah, oh, okay, that's my answer.
2: Right? How relevant is it? I think it's incredibly relevant, and certainly at the price, it can afford to be as you know relevant uh, as it likes. I think, um, particularly for people who don't want to deal with. You know, closed-in codecs and limited recording times. Um, having the SSD and have and don't want it to have transcoding. You know, if you want to record to something to a format that you can immediately drag and drop the drive into your system. I think that's a really clever implementation of the uh, SSD or the shuttle system that they had uh, and they brought out last year. The, uh, immediately be able to take the SSD out the back, dock it into your reader or have a 5 hour reader and bang you have sort of got all your data into your computer already, ready to drag and drop, no transcoding um, and um, yeah, and as record times as long as you like. So for interviews that people who want sort of shallow depth but don't necessarily want to dig around too much in post I think it's quite interesting. I think it's... Look, what we've proved is that there's a camera for everybody now I think and uh, for all the way up and down the scale this is definitely going to suit a lot of people. It, so far, it's, it's suited about 3,000 people who have pre-ordered the camera. So if you're thinking of having... Uh, I think you might actually want one It's best to get in pretty quick. That's uh, pretty phenomenal sales numbers within, you know, 36 hours or so of the, of the camera actually isn't existing. Don't you think?
1: Yeah, I think the thing is that uh, for many people, as I think we said, it's Scarlet. It's basically 3K for 3K almost. Uh, and that's just proving that there is a market for that kind of thing, right? Now, there are this is of course not going to be a camera for the people that are a super shallow depth of field nut although as I did point out with a Canon mount on there with a 1.2 you are going to get a pretty shallow depth of field and quite frankly I don't often shoot it full open 1.2 I know you do but if I'm doing an interview or something I'm shooting like at a, at a slightly high rate so that's not ruling anything out um, and you Mints. know what oh, oh 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 sustenance Have a mint. what's it's next the a moist toilet? but yeah, yeah we no
2: actually, we weren't actually even allowed to go to the toilet for a while all the toilets were filling up so we're sitting on the tarmac then they to come and pump out. and
1: uh, uh, No drinks, no food, no, no okay, even moistened towelettes. Okay. Well, I think the re- I think it is relevant. Um, I think it's a really amazing price point. And, you know, you can make the world's best camera in the world, but if somebody can't afford to use it or buy it, they're not going to use it. So, another question. Going the streaming in now. Uh, what do you think of speed, grades, inclusion, in CS6, and how will it affect Resolve? That's not a question for me. All right, question for me. Um, I think it's uh, anything that's done by Adobe gets massive amounts of um, traction. Ooh. Okay. Another mindless um, announcement. so um, SpeedGrade will gain enormous popularity just by the fact that it's on Adobe. The trouble is, it's a bit like Color. When Color was at the Final Cut, it got some converts, but until it was, well, it never really was, turned into a full Apple product and fully integrated, mm. it won't fully take off. So, at the moment, I think SpeedGrade will get a lot of traction. Um, but then, you have to say that Resolve isn't sitting around twiddling their thumbs, because, of course, very aggressive price point, brand new user interface, and then add to that, Baselite's going at it hard. Now coming out with a version that can run in Nuke and uh, do things like that, which will really help a lot. So I mean, the Light is tied to the platform, right? You're tied to, I presume, working.
2: You can't just buy software. Software yeah. only for Baseline?
1: You can buy it as a plugin for Nuke, but not for right. Okay, right. I think. Well oh, Final Cut, actually. You're right about Resolve
2: gaining traction because the new user interface. Um, is going to be a lot more appealing to first-timers and people who have come across from or have given up on color or, um, you know, who have started off with the gateway drug of the free app and then have upgraded to, to the paid thing. I think uh, the, 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 the more they simplify without getting rid of functionality, the more they simplify that UI, the, you know, the more people are going to run to it, I think.
1: Well, questions are streaming in. Another question. Does smoke have any chance of going more mainstream thanks to the new pricing and recent NLE wars? And I would say absolutely. I think smoke's going to be a ball terror. Actually, in the uh, separate podcast we recorded on the trip back from Vegas, I named it one of the most interesting products of this year's NAB. I think smoke will pick up traction. Now, will it dominate like Avid, uh, dominate like Adobe? I don't think so. But I think it'll make enough money to make a really serious impact. And I think people will use it because it's uh, a great alternative to Final Cut and then they'll suddenly start discovering all the stuff that they can do with it. Plus, they're no longer pushing it like a smoke on Mac. They're just pushing it as smoke. And I, I think, look, even though it seems a little expensive if you're coming at it from a, you know, $9.99 point of view, uh, I think it'll be huge. I really think it'll take on a huge, uh, huge thing. Well,
2: I mean, I, can't, I don't remember how much the whole full-on production suite for, you know, CS6 is, but it's, you know, it's got to be up there. I think the three and a half grand or so for smoke the smoke is going to keep some people back, but I think what is interesting about it, is it is all in one. It's an all-in-one program, you know. I think for me, having to round trip or going out of programs and back into uh, from one app to another is certainly gonna, you know, is is a bit a bit of a bummer. No matter how much they think they make it streamlined, I think. um having it all in one app and have just the power of what looks like a fairly decent NLE and then have the ability to just really dig down into full-on, you know, which we've seen is completely...
1: The colour grading tools in Smoke are really good, right? The keying tools are spectacular.
2: Right, okay. So if you imagine that all of that is bundled into one without um, having to sort of round-trip to any other apps is really interesting and going
1: to be a time-saver. But I don't know, time will tell on that. I really haven't had as much of a chance to play with it as you have, but uh, impressive. Somebody's asking, "How did I lose so much weight over the last couple of years?" Uh, the answer is, I ate less. Next question: um, Did you, we see the TechCrunch where some school kids launched a balloon with a 3D GoPro rig? I didn't see the 3D one. I saw the the uh, the balloon that went up and um, you know shot uh, out basically in space yeah. before it dropped with a GPS in there, so they could a find noisy it. Noisyating spirally, spiraling, noisyating one, but that was a while, you know, a few months ago. I haven't seen this 3D one. But we have got a bunch of stuff t- with uh, GoPro, and we're actually going to be bringing that out, like a serious interview uh, with the GoPro uh, people. In fact... We've yes, um, a great chat with David
2: Newman at the show with some new stuff for, uh, um, for GoPro, some accessories, and the fact that they've added the Technicolor profile to the GoPro and what that means to the final image and how easy it's going to make those cameras to cut into a shoot if you're using... Uh, something with a little bit more of a log look or like 5Ds or anything that you might be using the other, a technicolour profile or a, or a Pro Loss flat or something on, on your other imagery and make stuff greyed a bit easier together.
1: In fact, let's cross to that interview now.
2: Thanks, David, for uh, catching up again. Good to see you again on the GoPro stand. We saw you first time last year, uh, but there's been a little bit more uh, water under the bridge, I suppose, in GoPro land uh, probably more making use of your uh, your talents this time around.
0: Oh well thank you, um, well actually last year um, the, the Cineform booth and the GoPro booth were still in separate locations and now we're joined as one and we actually now can demonstrate we're doing a lot more things together and you can see that on this booth right now and probably the biggest uh, story we've got on the, is for the show is the new Protune mode for the Hero 2 and, as people are aware, the Hero 2 was, this, was an upgrade to the uh, HD Hero and it allowed us to get high resolution still images, it's a much faster lens, much crisper sharpness, uh, the sort of detail, stunning images coming out of the camera. And um, you know, we, the marketing is, the, is twice as good as the previous one and we believe that. And we've made it twice as good again just with a firmware update. And this is a firmware update targeted for the professional cinematographer, the professional data image acquisition customer. So what we've done is, we've, we've working with Technicolor, we've developed a log profile for this camera. We've made it so that you don't have any in-camera, in, no in-camera contrast, no in-camera sharpening. Um, we've turned down even denoising. We make sure as much detail is preserved. And we, the reason we can preserve it is we increase the bit rate from 15 megabits per second to 35 megabits per second.
2: So there is actually some contrast being fed in originally out of the box to the camera.
0: Well yes, originally when you look at the the main market for the GoPro camera is to produce stunning images that are ready to go shared on Facebook, go on YouTube. And and, and so most customers don't color correct. So we have to have a baked REC 709 image ready to go. Except professionals are using this everywhere because it is the the world's most dominant crash cam, if you want to use those terms. <laughs> and uh, and then, of course, it survived the crash. So it, it's, it, it is such a good camera to be using. And we're seeing, you know, turn on Discovery Channel. It is the GoPro channel as far as the amount of content that's being shown with this camera. But we get feedback from our professional customers that it's hard to mix in with other content because of this nature. And so and because it's at 15 megabits, when you start pushing it around, you won't have as much uh, headroom. So we've solved that, we've, increasing the bit rate. We've solved the, the contrasting candied, lovely look by making it flat, which we you know we see what we do with our uh, Canon 5Ds with um, CineStyle. And we added the one more element as we added 24p as another shooting option for it. So now, however you're shooting... Oh, and we also turned off auto um, white balance. We run it at the sensor native. So it's essentially shooting raw with a GoPro. we shoot putting the highest possible data rate that the DSP will allow us to do. You can still get two hours of recording on a 32-gig card, and it will... Intermix with your other content, and because of the relationship with Technicolor, we help them. They help us define this log curve such that you can actually use the Cinestar preview light, so that you can intercut GoPro with your Canon or Alexa log wherever it is, and it will actually look ready to go. Your colorist is not going to freak out when they see this.
2: So, what's it doing? I guess in the curved of the the output, it's uh, the blacks are less crushed and uh, same in the highlights i'm trying to work out what you might get what you might expect to see rather than just sort of uh less intense blacks is there are we seeing more detail in whites or what, what are we
0: what's what's happening yeah here? um we are doing some uh playing around with the EV levels to make sure you get more headroom in the in the whites and because of the nature of the log curve all your blacks are lifted we don't have to really geek out i know your shows like that we don't have the toe in the in the um, the in the shadows, like you have on Cinestyle, so we actually use the full zero to two hundred and fifty-five range. Um, uh, we've just found that we got a little bit more headroom, dynamic range. We're getting eleven stops of dynamic range on this wonderful Hero Two, and but be- actually, because we're using black from zero to full up, there is you, you can actually just say it almost looks usable for as is, but you add a little more contrast, so you don't have to necessarily use the the Cinestyle preview light, although that's what is designed for. You can find it very, very easy just to add a little bit of contrast, add a little bit of sharpening because we turn the sharpening off inside um, uh, the camera and this is actually where where the we, we helped define this at the Cineform Group but we knew because this is going out to everybody, this is a feature that's going to go out into the many masses of GoPro users. We, we all remember when people first introduced log curves to broadcast and and also our DLSRs, some people did not understand what was going on with their color. They did not understand. They still don't. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's true. And um, so Cineform, and the the Cineform Studio software that GoPro offers for free, and it actually works with Canon and Nikon and so on. Maybe people don't realize that the codec's free now. You can just download that software. You get the free Cineform codec, and you can do transcoding from a a, a large range of popular cameras. And when you use that, it detects the ProTune mode, and it automatically provides and corrects puts the correction light on the display light on it, it actually bumps the sharpening up. We added, now the Cineform codec has sharpening built into its decoder, so you can choose, it's non-destructive, so you can add and remove sharpening as you need. And by doing it that way, our regular customers can shoot at 35 megabits, get stunning images, and still get stuff that they're ready to post directly onto YouTube. And whereas our, our professional customers can just turn down whatever elements they want, they can turn off the active metadata processing, and they can then have a flat response that they can ready to go into any, you know, we're we're, in, we're compatible with DaVinci, we're compatible with all the IGA solutions, we're compatible with all these professional solutions that are licensees of the Cineform technology. So for for wherever you're a consumer, or whether you're a pro using the, um, the free uh, Cineform studio or you were using the cineform um, studio premium or professional products which is which is our old neo 4k and neo 3d that was a synth that just moved over into the cineform studio name you can um, move your content and gopro everywhere and the cineform's helping make that a little smoother for for those who have trouble with log curves
2: maybe it's australian thing i thought i spoke fast that's brilliant <laughs> well done now also there's the uh, new wi-fi i guess it's like the backpack Yes. Uh, thing. It just goes on the back and it's now Wi-Fi enabling the cameras. What can we actually do on the camera with that module?
0: Well, the Wi-Fi backpack is uh, just like our battery backpacks and the LCD backpacks. It expands the features of the camera. It adds a, a Wi-Fi, both access point and, uh, I guess, station. And there's two different modes it runs in. So one of the modes allows us to use a, a keychain remote. And this would allow, we sync the camera with this keychain remote and we can sync up to 50 cameras with this. We can see all the settings on the camera, so we can say, oh, "I want to put it all into 1080p 25, and I want to, uh, and I want to use in you know medium field of view." I can do all that setup across for, up the, simultaneously on all my cameras. But the beauty—it so makes
2: it sense. All the cameras are to the same exactly the same settings. Yeah.
0: So when you're using the remote, that's what you what you're doing with that. And uh, but the the magic of this thing is the the Wi-Fi backpack has its own power supply so because the camera when running will probably run for about two to three hours and if you've got a long day of a shoot which you need to get your cameras all set up and with GoPro you can set up a lot of cameras for a lot of different angles putting the Wi-Fi backpack on that will last many 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 more hours than the the camera itself will if it was actually recording.
2: Right so it's external battery as well as the Wi-Fi module.
0: Integrated into the tiny you don't notice it's uh, there's no, uh,
2: yeah, it looks r- about the same size as the uh, the little LCD backpack, right? Yeah,
0: and, and for those who um, have not used a GoPro, we've heard that some people think a backpack is something that you're actually strapping onto your physical body, and like it's something like the Kineta Pro proposed camera type of thing, of a little hand winder. That thing.
2: would be sort of uh, <laughs> uh, that would maybe go against the whole idea of the
0: thing, but seriously, that's come up, and they go, No, this is just something that's about two inches by about eight millimeters on the back of the unit, and um, so. Once you've got that enabled, you can power on the camera when you're ready. We just did a thing with Ken Block, in which he had you know, out this, uh, the uh, off-road racer, uh, the rally driver, yeah. and he had the Wi-Fi remote stuck on his, uh, uh, in the middle of his steering wheel, and like 25 cameras around the car. So when he's ready to go, he presses that, all cameras fire up, start recording, and you can stop them when you know whenever he fills his events over. And now you've got synchronized content. So you think about the multi-cam work that you have to do. You know no longer have to worry about where when did this one start, you know, how do I do I have to use some audio to sync it up and some like that. And that's very difficult with, particularly with motorsports. So um, it's It's ready to go. It's uh, ready to go on a sync timeline.
2: And it seems like the remote knows how many cameras it's sunk to. Because I was asking that question before. If you're in a car, if you've got, you know, three throughout the cabin and four on the roof or whatever, you know, how do you know the ones on the roof are all switching on? It seems to me that it's... uh, there seems to be talk back, and it's all sort of confirming. Now, the
0: Wi-Fi's also got another function with apps. Yeah, so um, when you're running the Wi-Fi backpack pad, is a, when it's an access point, you can log into it from your iPhone, from your Android device. And this is, by the way, all this stuff is coming out early summer, so it's not right out just at this moment. It's getting really, really close. And um, so that what you do is... Um, I, I haven't been able to sh- uh, show Jason this because... Um, the Wi-Fi is so noisy at the convention center. We found that when we were doing the, was showing, taking the image from the camera to the iPhone, we could do it in about four inches in this space. Whereas with, uh, oh, another thing about the yeah, I
2: was going to ask about range, with the yeah. with the range on the just the little key fob remote
0: thing. Uh, this thing is six hundred feet. <laughs> <laughs> six um, and but with the with when you're doing high bandwidth video and you're seeing picture coming along it's 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 more like you know 150 feet type of thing so um,
2: that's still good because the other camera that uh, I have that has I guess like a wireless video function is Bluetooth and which you know is, oh, okay. is, which is which is quite shit.
0: Uh, yeah well, Bluetooth has got yeah a range of three feet or something like that and you know so yes you can see your phone to your helmet or something like that but it's not practical for any other configuration of the um, uh, shooting or, yeah for so computer.
2: in in the one module you've got uh, Wi-Fi transmission for for you know remote role and settings yeah. and then it will also record send to your app where you can, uh, can set it up set the camera up now that's I guess one camera per time you know not going to be able to do... Yeah,
0: we're actually having... Um, eventually, you will be able to have an iPad and you'll be able to see all your cameras. Now, the, the reason that we're not doing that in our initial launch is because you actually need to bring an it's accident.
2: freaking hard, yeah, got, Yes,
0: yes, this has been. Yeah, some people may have been aware this product was coming out. It has been very difficult technology-wise to achieve what we're achieving. Um, the When we're dealing... With, when we will eventually to provide a multi... Um, you can see all the camera feeds you will have to introduce an access point into your world because um, our iPhones and our Android devices really don't like being access points to multiple cameras. You can sort of jailbreak them to do a little bit of that but we, the robust way is to bring an access point into your environment and if you can set that up, and in fact some of some vehicles these days have access points built in and uh, can block Ford Fiesta kind of thing there's an access point apparently in that car so you can um, hook up all your backpacks to the access point and then you'll log into that from your phone or from your, your iPad or from your Android tablet and you will, this is our next generation version of it although it's just going to be software upgrades so the hardware's fixed you will be able to see multiple cameras simultaneously So how much is the module and then I guess the key fob remote is probably a separate thing yeah, you don't buy the key ones separately. You buy that in a kit with one backpack, so it comes matched, paired. And, in fact, out of the box they are paired, so you just take it and you're ready to go. Um, and that's $99. And then you can buy extra Wi-Fi backpacks, because when you've got the key, you can control multiple cameras, and they are $59 each.
2: So then, if someone's got an other backpack, uh, I guess this is it's an either-or situation. If you've got the LCD backpack or the battery backpack, yeah. I guess you... Yeah, but I guess you're not, you're not losing... You're not... I kind of... I guess you're not losing the functionality of being able to see uh, your image because, again, you can do that through the iPhone. So it's not like you can stack these things on the back, of course, because they all have to fit in uh, uh, in uh, housing, I suppose. Yeah.
0: Well, of course, all our backpacks are hot swappable. So when you're setting the camera up, you can whack on the LCD backpack, line it up, lock lock it down, take off the LCD back, put on the Wi-Fi backpack. You you said that is exactly what you would, you know, you could do. So there's, um, we don't daisy chain the backpacks talk about making our night uh, you know making development for this technology really difficult that would make it even more so um uh, and also it make it makes a problem for the water housings to make sure that because you would end up with this very long camera of a uh, con-
2: i think this is actually i mean I, the lcd backpack's great i've got one of those but more often than not wherever you set your camera up, you can't you sometimes can't see the lcd at the back so this is perfect to be able to set it somewhere else yes. and then you can actually be in the car and just double checking i suppose yeah. check it's fine then swap over and record
0: yeah, exactly, you, so you don't, yeah, with the, you, you can actually, of course, control the lighting environment on this, the screen of your iPhone when you're, when you're logging into the backpack, whereas of course the LCD on the back, if you've got bright light hitting on the back of it and it's underneath something, it's, yeah, it, it, it's not always the most ideal thing for the, uh, the so yeah, you'll be more flexibility by using um, the Wi-Fi backpack via your, your phone, and all of this is coming out, yes, in, in basically a couple of months.
1: Genius,
2: i me up. Thanks, David. <laughs> Thank you.
1: And we have a bunch more uh, questions. With the advancements in digital cameras these days, are there ever moments that you would still pick film to shoot, Jason Wingrove, director extraordinaire?
2: Mm,
1: no. Okay, next question. Can we speculate on Red Dragon? What I mean, Actually, we've already done that one, but thanks for that question. Uh, uh, next question. Uh, the Holy Roman Empire was
2: neither holy nor Roman nor an empire. Disgust.
1: Right. <laughs> Can an albatross, European or African... Um, then somebody suggests we do a quick review of the movies we have watched in flight on in-flight entertainment. I must admit I was watching uh, various uh, episodes of Survivor and uh, you know some damn fine uh, Mad Men. By the way, this season of Mad Men is one of the greatest ever. Um, now, smoke on Mac? Does it hamper the brand? Should they've just named it Smoke Advance and and uh, to a Flame Timeline? Actually, can I just say Contagion is
2: a really bad movie to watch
1: just before you head off to a. Uh
2: trade show where you're shaking hands with lots of, uh, you
1: know... We've just been asked to turn off our recording device again. We'll, uh, we'll pick this up again in the studio. I'm sure. yeah. Okay, we're picking up the show 43 minutes later because uh, we got told to turn off our electronic equipment and we actually got to a gate. We're now in what we you described as one of the largest queues I've ever seen to get through immigration and we have no bags because none of the bags come out because they haven't. So we'll continue with the questions and the next one is... Um, can we explain more about the Fusion IO, where the uh, freelance producers or editors might see the most benefit, and then NLE workflow that came from Drew. Uh, so, if you have lots of read-write uh, stuff and lots of memory accesses, and that they will benefit from RAM, you get a huge speed up. So, for example, huge speed ups will come in things like uh, the foundries. Um, you right, Chris? Yeah, so I was just checking, just checking my audio levels. Sorry, I'm right, just checking your audio levels. We're doing this on a handheld recording mic, so uh, we apologise for any audio inconvenience and. By the way, just at this point, I just want to say I'm so freaking impressed with our peeps who have come up with pages of questions for us. So um, the, so if you're using a Hero, for example, from the Foundry, you'll get astonishing speed improvements. I don't see any reason why other NLEs won't, but the thing is you have to be able to implement this. So there's a, um, uh, like obviously the card goes in, there has to be some way that the software accesses that and uses it. So it could be used as like a fast... Dry, But to get real uh, benefit out of it, you want the company like Adobe, like Autodesk, like uh, Scratch, uh, Simulate, like the Foundry to access it, in which case you'll see vast improvements. Now, all the So we're going to need to see updates of stuff we've got now, say for Premiere or whatever, it's going to need updates. So this is like a CS6 thing or something. And all of the companies I just listed uh, have the card and are working on it. And the API has only just come out. It came out on the last day, like Wednesday of the show, and we spoke to the Fusion IO guys before we left. So, yeah, that'll be evolving out. Fusion didn't have a booth here, they're just basically the speed up inside all the other products. And this isn't, this isn't any kind of get out of jail free,
2: sort of cheap alternative to having a Red Rocket card. It's not going to help you for any of those kind of transcoding, right?
1: Uh, look, a Red Rocket card would help. Uh, do it, sorry, RedRocker does obviously help uh, converting an R3D file to something else, but what we're talking about here is let's say you did that and you wanted to then compress to something else like um, ProRes, so it'd probably help at the ProRes stage, not at the reading the red file stage because the files at the moment are still being processed on the CPU once the uh, red has been decoded and debayed. It's still being picked up then by the the actual computer. So it's a computer that speeds up. So it doesn't do the same thing that a red rocket does, but in some transcodes it would help. I just want
2: to make a note at this point that I'm recording in a restricted area where no recording devices are actually allowed. If at any point this recording should cease, uh, I'm sure uh, you will all disavow my involvement in this uh, podcast. Okay, so this question to you. Okay. Thoughts on the Misler module? What external hardware do you need? What wireless transmitters and receivers are compatible? This is uh, so of your element. That yes, but I didn't really have a chance to. There wasn't uh, the only Misler module there on the show was in a little glass cabinet right behind the. Um, I, was,
1: I was filmed
2: with it. Oh yes, of course that's right. They were actually using one. They had two reds uh, for those who didn't see the stand. They had two a uh, special sort of interview booth. It was really quite a cool setup area there. We're going to post that on our website. So yeah, the shots of the pictures of the, of the setup.
1: up No, the actual interview.
2: Oh, yes, yes, there's an interview. It's like rolling of interviews across the whole show that um, Ted and others were interviewing, um, uh, I guess, uh, Red, uh, sp- special friends of Red and just and, and, you know people who are uh, of note in the Red community. Um, and that's all going to be, uh, I'm sure, I presume that Red will roll those out, but we have access to the interviews that Mike was involved in with Ted, which was quite a lengthy interview, Mike.
1: Yeah, and we're going to post that probably as an insider piece on FX Guide. Uh, but we've got all the R3D files and stuff from Red. Um,
2: yeah, the, the the two cameras they were using. One of them had the Pro
1: I/O. They both
2: had one had a Pro I/O module, and the other one had the uh, Mysler module on it. It uh, was actually working on the stand. Uh, the guy who was operating that uh, that uh, a camera Meizler module uh, was using a off the shelf uh, transmitter. Uh, uh, focus T-stop z- zoom sort of module so that was off the shelf. Theoretically for 13 grand, my understanding is you just get the module and that's your lot and it's going to be compatible with uh, you know, all the usual um, transmission receivers. I think to be honest I need a bit more research on that, on that one to be honest but it was working on, this, on the set with an off the shelf non-RED transmitter.
1: Okay, next question is coming in from Mac Edits, who said, uh, what else did you see at NAB, uh, especially digital asset management at small, and medium facilities? Also, I want to talk about LTOs. I can't talk to me about LTOs, but if you actually go to the FX Guide TV live show, one of the segments was Nuke with a small, uh, well, with an asset management program that would be appropriate to small. So we're going to cut that up and put it in, but it was in the, like, the second half, I think. Um, and it was integrated with Nuke, and we're going to follow up with those guys and do more on that coming up.
2: Would the Codex thing we did as well fit under that category? It wasn't LTO, but it was sort of on set.
1: Uh, it was on set, but it wasn't really asset management in a database sense. But you'd quite like that Codex, stuff, didn't you?
2: Yeah, I'm really impressed with the Codex thing. Um, but yes, there's a good rundown. Again, once once those Im-
1: those uh, clips start being posted up again, you'll be able to jump to a particular section. Quite a few people asking us if we had the chance to shoot with the Blackmagic cameras or whether we see any footage off them. Um, The answer is we got to hold them working cameras and play with them and stuff. We were going to shoot with them, uh, but there were actually only a couple that were going um, there were pre-sort of release cameras, and they were a little nervous about us doing a review of them because they really are just like not there yet. For example, there was a lot of uncertainty as to what the base ISO would be, what the highest range of the ISO would be, and like they would prefer to us to shoot with them when they're more like a production release.
2: Yeah, I think it was something we were going to be shooting with, but it kind of uh, we sort of pulled the pin at the last minute, and uh, just because you know these cameras, that, specifically that part of the camera system, I think is. Uh, uh, it's still being finalised to get the best ISO out of that with the minimum amount of noise. In terms of the uh, build quality on that question, I thought it was built like a brick shit house, Mike. I thought it was very, very solid. As you, if anybody's picked up anything that Red, uh, that um, Blackmagic's made, it's uh, really well made. Uh, it's got um, aluminium frame all the way around with quarter-inch bolts in the top. Um,
1: yeah. The only thing I'd say on that is I think that it's so built for a third-party accessory team to come in and build stuff for it so what we were seeing felt kind of naked like it didn't have enough stuff on it like rails all that kind of stuff wasn't really really there yet because they were Three holes at the top and one at the bottom, effectively. So you, the aftermarket guys are just going to explode on that camera. It was uh, just further to the
2: pro- that question, which was about the whole pricing and components and things. I mean, the camera is you know just a shade under three grand. For that though, you do get the uh, UltraScope software. I'm not sure how much that is, uh, right. but you certainly get the full version of Resolve, which is thousand um, dollars. The camera itself is. Uh, the one, the one main accessory that's designed to go for the camera, and that is built by Blackmagic themselves, is that you've uh, probably seen the kind of two joysticks sort of either side of the camera. That's like a $195, very simple, very beautifully made little componentry, uh, little uh, that Blackmagic make. And f- to shoot with it, that's probably really all you need. It's designed around that kind of form factor of shooting. Anything else beyond that is going to, you know, we're going to leave that wide open for for the Red Rocks and Zakudos and wooden cameras of this world. But, um, yeah, the camera is, yeah, 3K and just a couple of hundred bucks for accessories and you're ready to go. Oh, the other thing, obviously, you need SSDs to go with it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it does not come with media internally. Uh, there's another tweet here from uh, Alden Cornwall is, what will be the main use for Red Ray? Mike?
1: Well, I got to answer that question. Actually, I was throwing this one to you because I got to answer that question with I just throwing it back to you because that's yeah, how no. I run. Yes, that's how, that's how we run. That's how we roll. Um, so I said that I thought it would make a huge impact in distribution of independent films. There'd be a big growth in like pubs and clubs and people having kind of film things and just basically freeing up a lot more high-quality projection stuff, which in turn, I think, should cause the, the sort of owned studios to kind of react and come up with better, better solutions. Um, okay, so I've got a question for you, Jace. Should I buy a Mark III or a Blackmagic camera? Or should I spurge on a Scarlet? Uh, that's really got to do with what your shooting style and what you're after really well the answer to that is we are shooting for <laughs> high-end architectural visualization so I would say the answer to that high-end in m- I would say the answer to that is a 5d mark III. I tell you why I don't think you need a scarlet because you really don't need to have high speed you don't particularly need to have um, a lot of the properties that are offered by the scarlet though HDR yeah. would be good um, the Blackmagic camera then, or the 5D Mark III, and I would say the 5D Mark III, because if you're doing architectural work, I imagine stills is really important. I also imagine getting high-resolution stills for textures is really important.
2: And you're going to want wide-angle lenses. If you've got a crop factor on your lenses, anything obviously becomes uh, a slightly tighter lens than it would be. If, you want, if you've got the lovely Canon 16-35, to that's going to come across as something like a 32 or so mil lens.
1: And that was Dave McKenzie. God, I love the. You guys are just friggin' awesome for all this.
2: Actually, it's halfway between 35 and 16. So yeah, it's, uh, I, again, I haven't bothered to work out the crop factor, but uh, you're definitely going to want uh, all the value of wide-angle lenses, and you're going to even more so with a full-frame camera.
1: Yeah, as I was saying, I just think it's incredible how much you guys have responded to our plea for help. So thank you. Okay, for those unfamiliar, this is coming from Drew Ingram. For those unfamiliar with smoke, can you give a brief rundown on the basic compositing functions while standing at a carousel in the middle of Brisbane having not slept for four days? Sure. Um,
2: That's an excellent question because I asked the same. You obviously have the smoke experience.
1: Yeah, okay. So smoke is a product that came from fire. Fire came from flame. And the idea was they produced an editing product. And then over time they incorporated more of the compositing features in the smoke product and they stopped making the big onyx version which was uh, fire. So it's... It basically, the new version looks like... Imagine if you had Final Cut and yet when you went up to do things like re- reposition size or do a split screen or do a key, you had a tremendous amount of flexibility to go maybe not not all the way that you can at the moment with after Effects, especially because I'm presumably we're not that sort of same world of uh, plugins, You don't get all those great trap code type things. But I actually have to say, I find... Uh, the, uh, I mean I, maybe I'm biased but I really think if you don't know either After Effects or Smoke, you probably find Smoke easier to learn than After Effects Because you can't really unknow what you already know I'm, I'm really, my, uh,
2: my question is along the same lines is how hard for someone coming in clean who's got the option to maybe go CS6 and do After Effects and that kind of thing
1: How steep is that learning curve going to be? I actually think it's going to be pretty good because I've got to say it looks a lot like Final Cut. So you would actually come in, you would use it like Final Cut. You'd say, oh, I understand all well, this. is very familiar. And the other thing is because it's an industry standard workflow. But the bottom line is that the editing stuff looks like everything else. But you said it looked like Premiere. Yeah, absolutely. That's
2: what I thought it was at the first from about three foot away from a monitor. Yeah,
1: so you're gonna do all that and then you're gonna slowly start getting into some of the effects stuff until you get to a point where you go, Oh my god, look at what I can do here. I can do full three D camera tracking type stuff that with a, a virtual camera sitting in three space, three D text, uh, lots of effects. There's lots of stuff why don't you don't get the plugins. Autodesk themselves have provided lots of effectively plug-ins in terms of uh, uh, effects packages. Okay, but you
2: won't need to have necessarily a smoke or a, a flame, you may need to have a flame background or an online background to be able to get your head around the higher end capabilities of this. No, no, absolutely not, no. Can I just say, all this time we've been talking, there is still absolutely zero movement at the carousel, not one single bag has gone past us here and there are probably about, you know, 350 plus people all standing around here still. again, another first-world
1: problem, but there you go. Carolyn Sampi says, Can't you just hike it to the terminal? You could probably use the exercise at this point. I think she's Carolyn's saying I'm looking fat. Actually, thanks, Carolyn. I'm really, you know... Yeah, uh, this is a bit personal. No, sh- I think we actually are in the terminal now. I think she's meaning that we should have just got out of the plane. However,
2: we still need to change from the international terminal to the domestic terminal to get back the other hour and a half or so flight from Brisbane to the airport we were actually trying to get to uh, nearly six hours ago.
1: Like, literally got at 6 a.m. in Vegas. We drove four and a half hours to get to L.A., went and did a bunch of stuff in L.A. that needed to be done, got to the airport by a 10 o'clock flight, so we're really pretty exhausted, having, of course... Had no sleep and none since. Okay, so that was two <laughs> days ago. Um, we've got now from Adam. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Lytro's camera? Now, okay, Jace, I've got one of these. In fact, it's in one of my bags. It's not coming up in the carousel right now. Um, it says, oh, or any other tech for that matter. Well, that's thanks, um, and uh, okay. you've probably held it for about four minutes. Well, John's shot with it quite a lot. I've shot with it a bit in LA before I ran it because oh, I was you know, we were staying in separate places in uh, in LA. Um, I have to say, the thing about it that is, I think it's really historically interesting as a camera. I think it's great fun to play with, but there are two big considerations against buying one. Firstly, it's not very high resolution. Secondly, you really can't see it unless you put it in the web browser interface for people to look at, because if you think about it, it has variable pick your focus points, but if you pick one of the focus points and export it as a JPEG, well, now you've just got a low-res JPEG picture that looks like it came off a good quality... Yeah, worse iPhone. than an iPhone, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. And if you want to keep it in the dynamic, you can pick your focus point, then you put it in a web browser. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what tends to happen is that people tend to take shots of coffee tables and restaurant tables and anything where they can get sort of heaps of depth in the shot. So they don't tend to be particularly well-composed pictures. So I think it's a historically significant camera. I obviously bought one because I want to have one and play with it. It's important for us, I think. It's a curio. It's a coffee table camera for taking pictures of coffee tables. Exactly. It's... it's I think it's it's not so expensive that it's. Hang on, what's happening here? There'll be delay.
2: There will be a delay. Well, there already has been delay. So you mean there'll be a further delay, or this is the delay,
1: or uh, which is it? It was only six hours ago that we meant to actually get out of an aeroplane. Okay, moving on. Um, oh, John's John's answering some questions. Well, thanks, John. Uh, okay, uh, is the Blackmagic a game changer? I think we discussed that enough. It's interesting how much interest there is in the Blackmagic camera. That I it's think there. it's a new game. It's a new game, yeah. And also, I've got to say, you know, fu- for two-thirds inch was a valid thing, and they are upset when they got rid of it in the RED lineup. I think it's shown that if even though RED couldn't go there because they'd so committed to 4K, the original scaled idea was a good idea. Now, can I just say, with the frame rates, it tops out at 30 frames at the moment,
2: but there is... A plan, a vague plan, being discussed that once the codex, uh, obviously at raw, probably going to start be topping out around 30, around 30 frames a second. But because you know it's such an open system, and there's going to be a lot of other formats that those SSDs you can record to, that perhaps at lower intensity um, codecs and a lower bit rate stuff, th- that there is a plan, hopefully to maybe give some higher frame rates uh, to that.
1: Sorry, people are now twittering that they're in Brisbane and that they're offering sus- sustainable and, and subsisting coffee for us. So I can't even speak now. So we, can we just bring them into
2: the uh, immigration lounge here. Just bust past the security guards. Just tell them you're with us. That's fine. They'll let you through. No problem. Don't mind the dogs.
1: Okay. Good. Anyway, sorry, I, I was uh, I slightly diverted there by. Uh, so, so what were they saying? They were going to give us coffee. They said, yeah, they're really around the corner from the airport. When we get through, thing, if we if we can't, you yeah, know, we can buy a coffee. But it was just well, nice that they offered to bring it in. Well, what we'll
2: have to battle once we get out of here. Of course, is the fact not the fact that we have to change to another terminal? But then we will have to literally just actually find an available seat on an available plane with uh, another seven, I think, international flights were diverted.
1: Okay. This question, Jason. What lenses do you like at the moment?
2: pretty cool question really okay excellent question um well i'm sort of i started off with um, a lot of l glass thinking that was going to be my shooting some stuff for 5d and some stuff with epic and then i figured that was going to be my uh, my sort of muck around on my own personal project lenses and then i started to sort of use those on set and we're quite happy with the results and but of course very you know always felt guilty being a being a um Uh, a former focus puller that I was handing over a really, you know, not not the ideal lenses for people to focus pull on if if, uh, we were going on Steadicam rigs or cranes or anything other than just me hand-holding and doing my own focus. So I'm starting to migrate to, uh, and that doesn't mean there's anyone with L-glass, just personally for me, starting to migrate to um, Canon, uh, to Zeiss ZE glass. Um, certain, gla- certain lenses I've moved to at the moment, some I haven't yet. Um, but uh, the ZE glass is uh, much more robust. Uh, I think actually it was also triggered, the decision was triggered by the fact that I, I did two shoots where I was traveling with, I think, my 8512 and there was a couple of shoots where the lens did not make it to the other end without needing to go straight to service. So I had issues with the eighty-five one-two being a little bit more of a... I had a problem with the eighty-five one-two as well. well
1: actually, John Montgomery did, but it was my lens, and I just took it back and got it to service. That's really interesting. I didn't know you had problems with it. Yeah, one.
2: yeah, I think the focus just wouldn't travel one time. Then I think the next time it had a bit of a knock, and there was something to do with the focus ring, I couldn't get the filter off, and that was probably just to do with the knock. Um, but I'm migrating to this sort of more fully metal-bodied glass of the Zeiss and having them modded by uh, Matt Duclos from Duclos Lenses. Uh, And I'm also going to migrate from the somewhat cumbersome thing of moving my screwing 82mm variable NDs from one lens to another as I change lenses and going to what the other part of the cine mod is, is the 80mm... Fronts that make th- all the fronts of the lenses are so not. So you're about the
1: screw in the size of the filter now.
2: Not screwing, it gives you an 80mm classic, essentially the same front of a lens as, say, a Zeiss Super Speed. Which is to change filters, you actually have a little clamp-on thing. So it's a twist of a lock, and um, you move like a little clamp-on shade with your filters in it, rather than unscrewing and screwing up the very fine thread of a um, of like a variable ND. So. Um, but for focus pulling, you know, having a much larger throw of these lenses, no, having a fixed end stops of those focus, uh, the, the focus throw. We've talked about this at length, of course. I'm probably boring fifty percent of the audience, but um, I'm moving uh, as many lenses as I can slowly, bit by bit. Do one every couple of jobs and get the job to pay for it, and moving to ZE.
1: I think Matt G had a really interesting point, and let's face it, you, you can—I'm uh, sure you can talk to this sure, a bit. But what lenses I'm doing? You go ahead and do your. Point. Well, no, I was just going <laughs> to say that, that he was because because I was going to say one of the central points of this is that we st- all the things you're talking about are Canon mount, and I actually asked Matt what I what he thought of the Canon mount, and he basically thought that it was a good mount. It wasn't the best mount, but it was a good mount. Um, But that's changed in just a few years because it used to be a while ago that you just really wouldn't consider a a cannon mount on a film set to be a valid option.
2: Yeah, um, I think there's also, and I'm
1: going to pause because. So we pick it up having now elapsed seven hours from when we were meant to be getting off a plane in Sydney. And we're now, Jace, no longer in the customs hall where we were asked to stop recording. We are now at a train station making our way through the planes, trains and automobiles catalogues that will be our travelling day today. We're
2: now waiting for a train to the domestic terminal. Uh, I also had to just, uh, consult the Brains Trust about uh, some lensing issues. Um, yeah, I was crapping on about the Zeiss ZEs, but the other alternative, which is a really interesting one, and almost one I wish I'd actually gone with. By the time I've sort of really got a handle on this other alternative, I um, uh, had sort of invest started to invest in the ZEs. But... Um, the alternative is um, to the ZE's, If you wanted to have manual iris, for for um, for instance, because uh, the Zeiss ZE's, the lens, uh, the iris in the lens needs to be controlled by the camera, even be it be it the 5D or be it uh, Epic. Uh, the alternative to that is Nikon glass, which if you're not, if you don't have a particular bias to focusing in a particular direction, the Zeiss. Uh, ZFs are exactly the same lenses as the ZEs, but they have a manual iris and they also focus in the opposite direction. They have the same construction and the same hard stops. Um, so if you're not really fussed which way you'll focus, or your body or your sort of muscle memory hasn't learned a particular way, ZE ZFs are an alternative. But another one and possibly a more affordable one is the uh, contacts, the Zeiss by uh, contacts by Zeiss or Zeiss by contacts. Um, very similar lenses, uh, serious construction, Japanese uh, construction, um, and they again have hard stops. But they have a mechanical iris, and they focus in the correct direction. When I say correct direction; they focus in a cine or film style lens direction. Uh, Paul Schneider is uh, someone who's uh, who's really sort of been a has really been a bit of a, um, a trailblazer for me. Uh, he's got a twenty-one. 2.8, 35, 1.4, 51.4, 85, 1.4, and a 1. a 135, 2.8. There's also a faster. I think a 1. I think a 135 two as well, which I'm looking at. Uh, and there's a ton of lenses in this range. The only downside. Uh, but what makes them a bit more affordable is that they are all second need to be second-hand glass. There's, they don't make these lenses anymore. This is purely an eBay uh, exhibition, and you know a bit of a hunt and you know hunter-killer kind of operation to sort of hunt these down and mix and match the lenses. So it's a little bit, little bit not quite as uh, as uh, risk-proof as going to uh, B&H and ordering all your lenses. But on the whole, it's going to be a cheaper operation. And he's sending them all again to um, to Matt Duke to get them all cine-modded, and they do look fantastic.
1: Yeah, one of the things I was really, uh, you know, pleased to notice is just the build construction quality of these metal lenses. Yeah, and if you look twice at them, they look like Zeiss
2: Super Speeds, right?
1: Look at either side; they're, they're, they're similar
2: construction. If you look at them front on, if you look right down the lens, the markings right around the lens, you know, very uh, Super Speedish.
1: Here's a little piece of trivia I picked up at the show. You know the uh, red primes. Those red primes could be dramatically smaller, but apparently in the early stages they were, and then it was deemed that they didn't look pro enough. So if you actually were to, and I've not done this, cut a red prime in half, you'd actually see that the housing that makes them look big and kind of, you know prime cine kind of thing is actually a lot of it's just gearing and stuff you could actually have a red prime if red wanted to as a dramatically smaller lens but it's not very manly to have a, a such a sort of a narrow wimpy kind of a lens so
2: red does not right we want them that we want to make these an alternative to uh, you know master prime so let's make them that big
1: the other thing I think that's interesting about those uh, lenses that you're talking about is they have a really good hard stop. I don't know if you said this before, but I was probably you know jet lagged, didn't hear you. But uh, having a hard stop is so important for being able to set focus because obviously on the Canon glass, if you do put a gearing ring around, it, and let's face it, we all mucked around with yeah, gearing rings. Just follow focus, you know. Yeah, you put a gearing follow focus or a remote focus motor.
2: Yeah, you get past that stop accidentally, and oh shit, none of your light, none of your markings can line up. And if you're not directly looking through the lens or if it's a rig shot or you're going by a wireless and you're not easily able to monitor the shot you can have your lens set at a completely different part of the the range when you actually need to you can can be completely soft and thus screwed
1: okay so uh, sorry we're just having another uh, another message here on the train tracks Um, so what's our next question Jason Uh,
2: is the DB16 destined for the kickstarter hall of infamy now digital bolle sixteen look you know, I have guilt about my um, my earlier comments about digital X, and I think now especially having seen how quirky, small, light, simple and cheap the uh, Blackmagic camera has been. I think there's a place there's a place for everyone in this world, and there's no place for negativity. The kind of negativity you might have heard on episode, I don't know, whatever it was, 108 on the Red Center. Uh, so
1: so you're saying now, having not slept for three I'm days... I'm saying live and let live. Okay.
2: Which I kind of did originally, but maybe, you know, I don't know, I was a bit stabby back then. And... Um, I don't think it's delegated to the Hall of Fame. They've already sold an awful lot of cameras, so there you go. I think I think maybe it might have collector value even once they've made all their cameras. They may move on to another version or perhaps a cheaper version because now we're we're seeing um, a lot of other. Ca- we've seen the D the Iconoscope have brought out a slightly cheaper and black and white only version of their D two sixteen. I'm trying to think what the number uh, the Iconoscope D two Um, two-thirds inch camera uh, which is a beautiful piece of kit and was at the show and I finally had a chance to play with one Um, but you know it's priced about seven or so thousand euro and you know they've not I mean they've actually sold they've only sold 65 of those cameras worldwide since they started to ship which was maybe about six months to a year ago Um, but the digital bollocks is a lot cheaper than that uh, and the Black Magic is cheaper again so I think maybe next time around if they do a Digital Bolex 2 um, cheaper again look I don't think it's it's it's, it's destined well, what was actually the question destined for Hall ah! of Infamy what was, what
1: was that I think uh, it was just you know an earthquake or something on the top of everything <laughs> else that happens hey I'm well, going to well, ask well, you the next question but you don't need to answer it now because we're about to get on a train yeah, but got got the Sony OLEDs there. look too good for grading the screens look too good uh, really uh, so well, let's have a discussion about, are we, and not only the Sony monitors for grading, but also where we saw some other Sony OLEDs at the show. But I'll pick that up when we get to the next queue. When the fastest seatbelt sign has been switched off, you are able to use electronic equipment. Please be reminded that transmitting devices such as your mobile phone may only be used if the was selected before
0: takeoff. Is to you make your flight more comfortable? The crew cool will be happy to assist. So now we ask going to sit back, relax, and enjoy the Vision your service.
1: Okay, so I said before that we were going to answer the question about the OLED. Well, we've now moved from where we were through six circles of hell to get to uh, a domestic terminal, to 18D. We're still going to call it the 12D podcast, though. So the question was, are OLEDs too good for grading? And my point is, well, we used to always have broadcast monitors that were the standard. And of course, no one ever had anything looked as good as a broadcast monitor. The OLEDs, is not so much that you want them to be looking better per se, it's just you want them to be uniformly what you're seeing is what you know. what is really there. So the more you can actually see the file, the better off you are. Now, of course, you make t- allowances for the fact that people will be seeing it not quite as good, but you still want to know what is there. You still want to know what you've got as your baseline, and then from your baseline you can work up uh, some, something beyond that. So I still think it's important to have a really good monitor. Plus the other thing is, it's just nice seeing your work looking that good, and if someone's going to compress it later, well, you can't help that. But at least you'll know everything that's there. And you know, obviously, increasingly over time, they will move from being fairly rare in grading suites to being much more common um, overall. But, Jace, what do you think of OLEDs that we saw in other places, other things here um, at NAB, or rather there at NAB, things that I don't know I should actually articulate on an aeroplane? Right? You mean the EVF, the red mate that is called something I can't actually mention on an aeroplane? Well, certainly the uh, thing that you can't mention without risk of us getting into further trouble that goes on the side of a red camera that uh, you look through, That's like an EVF thing. Right, the EVF starting with B. Um, Yeah, the
2: red have announced an OLED version of that which uh, looked uh, absolutely beautiful. Uh, I mean, I have no problem with my uh, EVF starting with B, uh, but uh, a few other people have had some quite milky blacks with with theirs. Uh, Two things I noticed when looking through the OLED version on the red stand was uh, a, I mean the blacks are completely solid, and uh, one thing we've talked about before with our LEDs is that the blacks, this uh, is by the structure of it, the fact that it's not a backlit panel, it is actually a point source of light or no light. When that is off, it is black, so it gets no blacker, can, you can't get any blacker than completely off. So the blacks of that uh, EVF were fantastic, and the other thing was, uh, you... With a lot of EVFs, I'm not quite sure what the construction is, but you get that sort of rainbow effect if you're flicking your eye around the viewing area a lot. You kind of get that sort of. Ref- you, your eye can pick up the refresh rate of the, of the screen, and there is none of that. Either the you know, completely different technology, I guess, uh, doesn't, I guess, maybe doesn't have a refresh rate per se, or the refresh rate's so high. Uh, but you just don't see any of that rainbowing effect, and the other benefit's being reduced uh, power. I think it only runs now on about 25% of the power it used to, and has a lot. One of the other issues people had with the original panels were uh, they they didn't work that well in cold temperatures, so that's been fixed as well. Uh, I think it's a 3.9 for the for the new version if you buy it by itself or. or uh, true to their obsolescence being obsolete, you can up, up send in your old bomb and get it upgraded for 1200 bucks, which I think is
1: excellent. Okay, well, it's now been about uh, 36 hours, 37 hours since we uh, started on our trip home. We're now about one hour out and we'll arrive only nine hours delayed on our flight, which means that the entire flight took about 23 hours to get uh, to get from Woe to Go. That's just the LA leg, but anyway. I want to thank everyone that's uh, submitted questions. I'm going to kind of collapse now and probably uh, pass out. But look, uh, some of the questions we've asked, we're going to try and uh, log who you were and try and get uh, emails to you so we can get some addresses so I can send you some uh, very cool RC hats. And Jase, we really made a huge difference to us actually having the community like, pitch in and send questions. I mean, it actually was fucking awesome. Fantastic, actually. And
2: uh, I think... Uh, just apologies I guess to if we didn't quite get to your question uh, a, a, a distinct lack of actually connection to the internet at 24,000 feet had a little bit of something to do with that and as you say uh, we're completely rooted now and might just last, use the last 45 minutes of flying time left to actually uh, uh, be unconscious
1: Yeah plus we're actually running out of batteries in just about every electronic device we had we literally have gone through three different devices trying to check Twitters over the last nine hours at no point have we had power. Okay, well, that's yeah, mate, it for this. A bit of fun. Impromptu episode. That's <laughs> it's the end of our 12K EP. Uh, why don't we put this out as a bonus EP? And uh, thanks so much. I mean, seriously, thanks so much. Cheers, guys.
0: Thanks for listening. Send your questions or comments to rc at fxguide.com. Copyright 2011, FX Guide LLC.